If you'll take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Jeremiah chapter 5. Jeremiah chapter 5. We'll begin reading verse 1. We'll read through verse 13 of Jeremiah 5. 1 through 13. Now I'll be reading out the New King James Version, as is my custom. God's Word declares, Run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. See now and know, and seek in her open places. If you can find a man, if there is anyone who executes judgment, who seeks the truth, then I will pardon her. Though they say, as the Lord lives, surely they swear falsely. O Lord, are not your eyes on the truth? You have stricken them, but they have not grieved. You have consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. They have made their faces harder than rock, and they refused to return. Therefore I said, surely these are poor, they are foolish, for they do not know the way of the Lord, the judgment of their God. I will go to the great men and speak to them, for they have known the way of the Lord, the judgment of their God. But these have altogether broken the yoke and burst the bonds. Therefore a lion from the forest shall slay them, a wolf of the desert shall destroy them, a leopard will watch over their cities. Everyone who goes out from there shall be torn in pieces because their transgressions are many. Their backslidings have increased. How shall I pardon you for this? Your children have forsaken me and sworn by those that are not gods. When I had fed them to the full, then they committed adultery and assembled themselves by troops in the harlot's house. They were like well-fed, lusty stallions. Everyone made after his neighbor's wife. Shall I not punish them for these things, says the Lord? And shall I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? Go up on her walls and destroy. But do not make a complete end. Take away her branches, for they are not the Lord's. For the house of Israel and the house of Judah have dealt treacherously with me, says the Lord. They have lied about the Lord and said he is not, or it is not he. Neither will evil come upon us, nor shall we see sword of famine. And the prophet becomes wind, for the word is not in them. Thus shall it be done to them. Well, it has been three weeks since we handled Jeremiah on Sunday morning. Two weeks ago, we handled it on Sunday night. I remember I did a switcheroo between Galatians and Jeremiah, the morning and evening services, uh, that we might have a focus on our Lord's nativity um, two weeks ago. And so tonight, this morning, we are back at Jeremiah. And uh, to tell you the truth, when we miss a Sunday like that, it really messes me up. Um, I, in my mind, I have already preached this message and uh, was ready to go on. And uh, and then Sunday night was a little bit different too in how it was presented. And so um, we're going to be backing up a little bit. If some of this sounds like a review, um, you probably need it as much as I need it. And so uh, we're going to go into chapter 4 and press into chapter 5 this morning. Uh, but uh, we are going to lay a foundation, really, for a observation. And this is the time of year we do observations. Did you notice the past week or so? Um, we, as we come to the end of the year, everybody wants to talk about the top 10 this or the top 10 that. And we're going to make observations of the past year uh, with the idea also of making uh, determinations or expectations for the coming year. 
So we're going to uh, look at Jeremiah's observations of his world around him, of his expectations and what he was going to thought would be a good solution, which of course wasn't, and much of what our world does is similar, that they think they have solutions that can be applied, but they will fail, and fail miserably. Jeremiah had the wisdom at least to see that very quickly, and we're going to have that described for us as well in chapter 5. But we want to go into the observations that he makes, that God makes over the nations of Israel and Judah, uh, and then uh, with an expectation that based upon those, what can we expect from God's hand? Before we do this, let's go, Lord, in prayer together. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you again for the opportunity to gather your name and having your word before us, and we recognize the seriousness of the soberness of this time that we uh, are going to be held account for this period of time over what is said, certainly, whether it is in keeping with your word of truth, and we pray your spirit might guard it, that it might be so. But Lord, not only what is communicated in terms of what is spoken, but also how is received, we will be held accountable for. That too much is given, much is required. Your word is instructed us and so we recognize uh, also a responsibility this morning of having this kind of access to your word um, freely and openly also gives us a responsibility before you of being obedient to it that we cannot claim ignorance because we are not ignorant unless it is by our own choice and so Lord we pray you might guard our hearts and our minds this morning that we might truly um, avoid being caught up in the descriptions of Judah that we find here in Israel, that we find here in our text, that we also see all around us. And that in doing so, that we might not be arrogant in our position, but humbled and truly weep at the circumstances that we are confronted with daily all around us, and that we might renew our commitment to righteousness this hour. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Well, chapter 4, we found Jeremiah being... Directed in observing how Israel was behaving itself, and Judah particularly was the focus. And God had to do that because, in Jeremiah's mind, he had lots of room for his people within the relationship they have with God, within the covenant of of Moses and the Aaronic covenant. Of course, Jeremiah being among the priestly tribe. And so we find him uh, having to be confronted by God over the wickedness around, and we're going to see it impact him. And uh, nowhere does it come in as clearly, maybe, as in chapter 5, where he is confronted with it, believes that there is a solution, and then is immediately just struck down in that idea. 
But we want to look at how God's observations over the people, over the society that Jeremiah was dealing with. And we go back to verse 22 of chapter 4, and it says, My people are foolish, they have not known me. They are silly children, they have no understanding. They are wise to do evil, but to do good, they have no pleasure. And, and or I'm sorry, they have no knowledge, no knowledge of it. They don't even know how to do good. Um, and that, of course, uh, is, we're going to talk about a little bit. Do people even know how to do good or what good is um, outside of the parameters of God's word and of his prophets, his preachers, his declarers, um, communicating that to the people. And so this was God's observation. What is Israel like? Uh, what is, what, what's going on? And we can talk about specific sins, and that's going to come up and it regularly does among the prophets. But this is his overview. This is God's overview of the people. Um, that this is foolishness. They uh, have not made any effort to really know God, even though they claim a relationship with him. Uh, that, and, and if you think that sounds odd, it really isn't. There's a lot of people that claim relationships with others that don't really know the others they claim relationship with. You know the distinction there. So I can claim to know somebody uh, I can claim a relationship with somebody and not really know them. Um, and so we, we, and in fact, in our media age, we might claim to know people or to have a relationship with people um, and not really know them. That's a very common condition, actually. Um, most of your favorite whoever, sports figures or media figures, uh, film stars, um uh, you have a relationship with them. They don't have one with you because they don't know who you are. Um, but it's amazing how many Americans build relationships with those people and even call them theirs. This is my guy. This is my hero. This is my whatever. Um, but they don't really know those people. And then it starts to come out what they're like. Uh, this is my candidate. And, and without really even knowing them and, and certainly not engaging them. So there's this foundation of we have a relationship with God, but we don't know God. And what a sorry condition. He also describes them as uh, foolish children or silly children. Uh, they have no understanding. They, they have no concept of cause and effect. They don't re- recognize that, um, and that's what silliness is and foolishness is, this idea that somehow I can persist in doing this and never have any judgment. I can persist in doing the wrong thing, being disobedient, and I'm going to keep getting fed, I'm going to keep getting cared for, I'm going to keep getting clothed, I'm going to keep getting all the benefits without me putting into it at all. Um, And if you don't think our society is filled with that kind of mentality, you haven't been very alert. Um, We have a mentality that we can keep on drawing from the vacant bank that uh, is called the federal government, and we can just keep drawing from it, keep drawing from it, keep drawing from it, and go into deeper and deeper and deeper debts um, that, and print our own money and think that, that we can persist in that and never be touched by the what ought to be the ramifications of that and will be one day. And so we see this foolishness, this idea that somehow, and, and, and it's a childishness, and it's formulated around a selfish interest that uh, doesn't really care about anyone else or about the long-term consequences 
And so it is all very immediate. It's instant gratification. It's all about today. I live for today, tomorrow, who cares? Um, I, I'm going to live the now. And, um, and the foolishness that is in, wrapped up in that and the lack of understanding that is there. And then it, it concludes with describing them as wise to do evil, but to do good they have no knowledge. And the idea of being wise to do evil um, is not just a, a knowledge of good and evil that we might find in the Garden of Eden. It is, a not, it is the capacity to plan on doing evil and even substantiating it in one's own mind. Uh, the term we use is rationalization. I can rationalize being evil. I can make excuse for it. I, there's a cause for it. I have a, a valid reason to do evil, um, and uh, no one can question me. And and because uh, just because you call it evil, it's not. I have this. Uh, it's okay for me, even though it's not okay for you. And so it's okay for me to steal. It's okay for me to lie. But don't you dare lie to me, or don't you dare steal from me. It's okay for me to do it, but not for you. And it's that idea of this uh, self-interest, again, uh, driven by this willingness to do evil and then to find an excuse to avoid acknowledging it as evil. It's okay for me. But to do good, they don't know. In fact, they have buried themselves so heavily in evil doing that they have come to the point of calling evil good. In the midst of that, calling good evil. That somehow um, you are the one at fault because you are calling out evil as evil. And therefore you become the intolerant one. You become the one that is the scourge on society. And we have come full circle to this full-blown sinfulness in our society where the people who are the enemies of culture, the enemies of our land, are those that will call you out and say, this is sin, this is evil. And they are now the criminals. And so for me to stand here and declare that homosexuality is sin, that there's no place for it in society, there's no place for it in the church, there's no place for it in our law, there's no place for it, is now a criminal act. But I'll persist in it because no one's coming here to shut me up yet. Um, But the fact is that if we were a government church, I would not be allowed to say that. Legally at this point. We have come to the point that good, which is declaring that these are the ills of society that will denigrate us and destroy society itself, that to say so is now called evil. And the ones who are perpetrating the wickedness are called the good ones. And so individuals like me are tagged with labels like homophobe and things like that, By the way, I'm not afraid of any of them, um, and I'm not afraid of that act. It's not fear that drives us. It is righteousness, and it is an understanding that this is going to destroy not me, but them. We're going to get to that later on in Jeremiah, where God says, I'm doing this for their good. 
I'm not doing this because I'm against Israel, but because I am for her. So why do we decry evil in the marketplace? It is not because we are against the people perpetrating the evil. It is because we are for them. And it is for their benefit to have those that will say, that's wrong, that is sin, that is evil, that is unjust. And so this was God's observation of the land as he looked out on it and he saw that without, without a knowledge of God, there was this foolishness, this, this self-orientation that was about today and, and, and uh, who cares about tomorrow and, and no idea or no sense of responsibility over the consequences to come. Uh, in fact, saying there are no consequences to come as we're going to see in our text today. And the whole idea that I am going to be able to figure out how to do evil very easily, it becomes second nature to me to do good. Um, you call that good? No, no, no. That's, that's, you, got, you got a problem, buddy. And I've had plenty of people in, uh, in certain circumstances, both on social media and in public, so that make it very clear that in their opinion, I'm the one with the problem. What's my problem? My problem is I have absolutes. My problem is, is that um, I have a black and white world. Yes, I do. Technically, it's not black and white. Technically, it's light and dark. And I believe that what is not of the light is darkness, that there is no shadowy gray area. And that kind of position the world looks at as foolishness. And so this is God's observation. And in chapter 5, um, we're going to have Jeremiah run up against it. So here's God's, God's observation is, this is what Israel looks like, this is what society has become, this is the general Malay that you're up against. So now, um, Jeremiah doesn't quite believe it. And maybe there's plenty in the Christian community that don't believe just how wicked and how corrupt and how nasty our society is, not just here in this city or region um, or nation, but globally. And so um, God gives Jeremiah a commission. So first we have the observation of God. Now we have the commission of God on Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 1, here's God saying, you go. Do a survey. Don't you love surveys? Get out your little phone and start calling house by house. Run to and fro. Um, Throughout the streets of Jerusalem, canvas the whole city. Go out there, see now and know. Seek in her open places. You go and you, this is... You don't have to trust my observation. Can you believe this? God says, you don't have to trust my observation. You go out and look. You go out and listen. You go out and find out. You run all through the city of Jerusalem and see if you can find one man. Find one person who not just talks about, not just gives lip service to, but someone who does justice. Where there is executes it, the one that um, will will put forth and advance and promote justice, as well as performing it in his own life. Is there anyone who executes justice? 
Find the man. Go ahead. Who wants to know the truth. Who seeks it out. Who desires after it. Who hungers and thirsts after the truth. Go find him. If you can find that man, I'm going to pardon the whole city. Find that one guy, and I'll pardon the city. There's plenty that give lip service. Notice that in verse 2. They say, as the Lord lives, surely though they swear falsely. So there's plenty of talking the talk. I don't want, the, those won't save the city. People giving lip service to me and saying, as the Lord lives, or we should do this, we should that. There's plenty of talk. And I'm not asking you to go find someone that talks the talk. I don't want you to go find people who claim that they love the truth. I don't want you to find people who claim to do justly and to love mercy and to walk rightly with their God. I don't want you to have those people that have the the front of it. That pretenders. I don't want that. Um, Talk is cheap, okay? And basically God says, uh, don't go bring into me people that say, thus as the Lord lives. Because that's a lie. That's the lie. And the fact is, you're confronted over and over and over again with those who claim the name of Christ, who call themselves little Christ, that live like little devils, and you must have make a determination, and God says, don't go by what they say, go by whether they are executing judgment, that is, they are actually doing it, and that they are genuinely seeking out the truth and not trying to avoid it. I'm confounded by how many people I confront with God's word who... <clears throat> are willing to do horrible things to their Bibles to avoid just acknowledging that what they're doing is evil. From what I can tell, there's not a commandment, there's not a principle, there's not anything in God's Word that is absolute, based upon how men have handled it. Whether they call it cultural, whether they call it, oh, that's old-fashioned, or whether they find a way around it. Um, The fact is that they take God's word, they manipulate it in such a fashion to substantiate themselves, and in that sense, they are just like the silly children that have no understanding that do not know the Lord. They do not know that he is light, and in him is no darkness at all. They do not know him. And so all they know is evil, and all they know is how to twist things to give themselves permission to do evil. So don't go by what they say. And you can sit here and say, well, they say this, and they say that, and so these people must be followers of God. And, and I will have to tell you, like God says to Jeremiah, um, I'll believe it when I see it. Because hearing it means nothing. It just means nothing. You'd think by this point that we would simply turn off everything every politician tells us. Right? What do their words mean? You tell me. What do their words mean? They mean nothing. Why? Because everything they say is false. 
They're not seeking the truth. They're not executing judgment. They say whatever their polls tell them to say to get people to be convinced that they are what they are not, that they hold to what they don't hold to, so, um, so that you will get their vote and then they will do what is really in their heart, which is evil all the day long, and they'll call it good. And they'll twist it and somehow say, oh, I didn't really mean it that way, you misunderstood it. Um, and, or circumstances didn't allow me to, but the fact is, is that they are swearing falsely even as they say and proclaim it. So Jeremiah, you don't think my observations are accurate. You go find this person who does justice, executes it, requires it, lives it, who is seeking the truth and willing to conform himself to it. This is not just an idea of, of uh, some high philosophical principles, but someone who generally wants these absolutes. And, of course, we know that the ultimate absolute is Jesus himself, who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Find the one who seeks that one out. Genuinely. Not just talks about it, but really gets into God's word and digs. And I have been encountering and engaging people, and it's a and it's phenomenal, once again, that you can sit here and use Scripture and point to something and say, well, it says this. And they say, no, it doesn't. I was like, the words don't mean these things? Well, yes, but it doesn't mean that. I was like, what do you mean it doesn't mean that? How can that be? Because they don't want to conform or transform themselves. They don't want to acknowledge error, their own. They don't want to humble themselves. And so I've come to the point that I just can't engage them because it's worthless because there's no willingness to seek the truth, to recognize that I am at this position and that my position may be full of error and once I have more, received more light that I need to leave this position and go to this position, um, you don't find that spirit I can't find it very often at all. I have a spirit of, of, uh, of, well, this is what I believe, and you can't challenge me on that. I find a spirit that says that uh, you can't teach me. I come across a spirit that says, well, that's okay for you, but not for me. That's called subjectivism. And that's how most people view truth. It's truth for you, but not for me. And that's not what God's calling us to. So he says, go look. Find those people that are genuinely desiring after, interested in it, searching for the truth, and then once finding it, abandoning what they were and embracing it fully. And they are so rare in this day and age that I sometimes wonder if it exists in our land. People just want to know the truth. We want to be taught and want to put it into their life and execute justice. So that's the commission, verse 1 and 2. So verse 3 and following, Jeremiah goes out and gets active. Here's this statement. Lord, are not your eyes on the truth? So what we find is the conclusion to introduce the experience. God has given him the overview. Here's my observation. Here's what Israel's like. And Jeremiah, even as God has said, you go and look for it. 
You think I'm not observing things correctly? You go and look for this person. And Jeremiah's first response is, Lord, you're asking, okay, you've called me on it. Yes. How can I not acknowledge that you are the one who knows the truth about what's in men's hearts? You can see it better than I can. All I can go by is what I hear and see. Well, now I've got to find someone who actually executes judgment. So are not your eyes on the truth? And here's what he sees from God's declaration. You have stricken them, but they haven't grieved. No one's grieving. Judgment after judgment on a minor scale has already happened. Remember, the Assyrians already came through and swept through the land. They were mightily delivered when they were on the doorsteps of Jerusalem, but they didn't grieve their own sin. You consume them, but they have refused to receive correction. That is, they didn't change their course. They have made their faces harder than rock. They have refused to return. And Jeremiah acknowledges this. He recognizes that the people are hard-hearted, that they don't want to be corrected because no one is wrong, because there's no absolute standard that we all are held by, and therefore that subjective element means I get to decide what truth is. And as soon as that happens, there is no longer a premise for there to be a society. None. It is absolute chaos. It has to be. The moral decay that we are engaging has been going on for a century. Pastors of old commented on it over and over again, and their comments are pointed and direct and and meaningful. And then I look at where we have gone since their death 50 years ago, and I go, oh, you see, back then it was occurring, but there was still a social conscience that would recognize it as being wrong, even as it was growing in its, in its practice. There was still a consciousness uh, 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 that this is wrong, even as they did it more and more and more. But now that is eliminated, and truly what Romans declares is the work of God to sear our consciences from as with a hot iron, that we come to the point that we don't even think it's wrong anymore. And then we wring our hands over children getting slaughtered and, and, and murders happening day after day and shootings randomly on interstates, and we go, how did this happen? Hmm. It happened because no one listened to the preachers 50 years ago. And it went from being practiced to being preached. And that's what was happening in Jeremiah's day. The priests and the prophets were preaching sin. This is okay to follow your own interests. You can, dis- you can decide what's right and wrong. You just go with whatever makes you happy. I remember that. I grew up with that. That was the 70s. Make yourself happy. Partridge family, come on, get happy, which meant do whatever you wanted. Whatever makes you happy, it's got to be good because you're happy about it. Well, what happens if making me happy means shooting people? Makes me happy. 
How can you fault it? So we have the rationalizations that have occurred, but now we don't even need those. And here he has looked around and he recognizes that there's a complete hardness, that there's a refusal to even conceive of the idea of someone correcting me. I would never want Bill's job at a middle school. Try telling middle school students they're wrong. They're doing something wrong. They don't have an attitude of willingness to receive correction. They don't even have an attitude of shame. It's gone. It's gone. You can't shame them. You can't correct them. Um, they're unwilling to say that they've done anything wrong. Um, and in fact, the, the one who is doing the correcting is the one that's wrong. They're the ones at fault. And I am sure that uh, with every child that you have to deal with like that, you have two parents or one parent or half a parent that comes in and says, you're the problem, not my child. This is the condition that Jeremiah was confronted with, recognizing the observations of God over the people. We come to verse 4 and we begin to see a recognition of the problem. So therefore I said, Surely these are poor. They are foolish. They do not know the way of the Lord, the judgment of their God. So the problem is ignorance. Um, They're just... um, Ignorant and in want of examples, they're in, they, they just need to be taught. They, they need to be brought up to speed, if you will, of recognizing that these are the handiworking of God, that this is God's judgment, and, and, and they just need some information. Uh, they don't know the way of the Lord. Uh, they don't know the judgments of their God. They can't recognize it. Um, when you struck them, they didn't grieve because they didn't think that you were doing it because they were ignorant of you, which I think God said, they don't know me. That was his observation. So from Jeremiah's perspective, they needed some information. They need to be taught. Well, who do you go to to teach a society, to, to reform an entire culture, an entire generation? Where do you go to start? How do we reform a generation? This is what Jeremiah is confronted with. He starts to, he has already acknowledged, God, your observations have to be true because you know the truth. Um, your eyes are on the truth, and so I'm not going to be able to contradict you. Um, but here's what I see is, is that you are trying to bring them to correction, but it's not working. Um, and that means that they must be really, really ignorant people. So, verse 5. Where do you go? could reform a society. I'm going to go to the great men. I'm going to go to the leaders. I'm going to go to the great men. I'm going to speak to them. And they certainly know the way of the Lord and the judgment of their God. Who's he talking about? The great men. He's talking about the men whose businesses should be to know the truth and be communicating it to society. His own family, his own kin, his own, who? Preachers. Who else? Priests. Who else? Kings. Who else? Princes. These are the people 
whose responsibility it is to know the truth and to lead the people into their, that truth. The prophets. And so he says, I'm going to go to the great men. And Jeremiah had access to that group, to that family, if you will, that, that, that echelon of society. He had access there. He says, I'll go to the great men. They have to know the, the, the way of the Lord. They have to know the judgments of their God. And in fact, when he gets there, he finds out that's not true at all either. That's the problem, one of the problems. <laughs> Here we go up to the leadership of society and say, Certainly you know that there is an absolute truth. You know God is at work. You know these things are happening. Certainly. You are the wise. You are the ones who are the spiritual leads of the, of the community. Certainly you know the truth. Why don't you communicate it to the people? And You can almost see Jeremiah getting ready to call them to action, to lead the people out of ignorance of God and out of their, their selfishness and stubbornness to bring them to the point so they could have the information whereby they could examine themselves, consider their ways, recognize their sin, and repent. If we just had people that would be willing to point the bony finger and say, that is sin and here's why, that would resolve this. And certainly God has given that kind of truth to mankind, to the leadership. They have access to it. And we look at historically and we go, well... How does it happen that the law of the Lord is lost to his people? I say, they lost it? They lost it. Couldn't find it. Where's the law of the Lord? I don't know. You seen one lately? I don't know. You have a copy? I don't have a copy. You have a copy? I don't have a copy. Where is the law of the Lord? No one could find it. Josiah starts doing renovations. We've got to do some upgrades. We've got to get this building up to code. And suddenly the priests come across a scroll. Here's the law of the Lord. We have one copy. There's one copy. They start reading it and they go, oh, we're not doing anything right. Nothing. But even under that condition, he goes there to the leadership. Remember, this is a leadership that allowed the law of the Lord to be lost for, to the point that they didn't even know where to look for it. Generational sin and error And so he goes to the leadership of Israel, the great men. They're going to have the solutions, but instead, in verse 5, the last half of this verse, but these have altogether broken the yoke and burst the bonds. They themselves are violating it. They themselves are not fully in their heart given over to God. They themselves aren't searching for the truth. They themselves aren't executing justice. They themselves have thrown off the yoke of the law, the bonds of the covenant agreement. They've done it. So here, 
he goes to the leadership that maybe could institute and, and, and lead the people into some reforms, and he finds that they aren't really interested in it either. That this condition is top to bottom uh, what Israel is like, what Judah is like in these days. And he is confronted with having to acknowledge the observations of God and recognizing that indeed these people do deserve to die. They deserve judgment. How do we resolve this? How can you reform this kind of people? How can you reform a society that from top to bottom rejects God, from top to bottom um, doesn't want to be corrected over anything, um, from, from infant <laughs> to mature national or international leadership, they have only their own interests at heart. They're only wise to do evil. They have no understanding. They, they call uh, good evil and evil good. When this is the condition, um, how do you correct it? How do you reform it? And so Jeremiah concludes the same place where God has to do. You've got to wreak havoc on them. So verse 6 begins. They're going to be torn in pieces. They're going to be destroyed. They're going to be, they're going to, their cities will be emptied out. Their transgressions are so much that, verse 7, how God says, how shall I pardon you for this? Your children have forsaken me and sworn by those that are not gods when I fed them to the full. Then they commit adultery and assemble themselves by troops in the harlots' houses, going after each other's wives. And the question in verse 9, Shall I not punish them for these things, says the Lord? Shall I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? And the conclusion is, from Jeremiah's perspective, Yeah, you have every right to, because there's not a man from, from the, the most mature to the, to the most immature, from the, from the powerful to the weakest, there is no one that has interest in doing what is right and just and good and truthful. They're just as a total. Corporate commitment to reckless sin. And so the question is, how can I pardon them and how can I not punish them? Is really the question. Even while we keep saying, how can God let bad things happen to us? the question that we probably should be asking in our age is how can he not? How can God not be punishing us? How can he withhold anything from us in terms of disaster and destruction? What is staying his hand is really the question when we examine our society. And this is where Jeremiah comes to And in verse 12, we become part of the problem. Verse 12, they have lied about the Lord. And said, is not he, neither will evil come upon us, nor shall we see the sword of famine. And the prophets become wind. And the word is not in them, thus it shall be done to them. 
the observation of God is that society is in this condition and therefore deserving of complete annihilation. But even God and his graces, we're not going to completely destroy them. I'm going to leave a remnant. And that's, I, I kind of skipped that over in verse 10, 11. I'm going to leave a little remnant um, because there has to be some reform down there, but it's going to be a, a remnant-based. It's going to be the, the, the small minority. Um, it's going to be... Uh, numbered people. Okay? And when you start thinking of remnant, think of during the prophets when it was down to, you know, eight days of Noah. Eight were saved. Um, Elijah says, I'm the last one. Lord, he says, well, I got a couple thousand. Okay? Um, That kind, those kinds of numbers. And even when we get into Revelation, we're like the whole world, there's 144,000, that's it, out of the whole planet. Um, once the church is, is removed through the catching up of the saints, um, there's still 144,000, which doesn't seem like very much compared to billions on our planet right now, does it? So the remnant's going to be there. But... Here's the further dilemma. The world deserves it, and we can look at them, and we can point the finger. And we should. Do not get me wrong that that somehow we have no right to say the world is in this condition. We must say it. We must declare it openly and forthrightly and take the blows that come from the world for calling sin, sin, and declaring it openly and honestly and and seeking to execute justice and to seek out the truth and be communicators of that. We must boldly do that. But we must equally recognize that we do so from a very tenuous platform. The platform that the church has to call out the sin of the world has crumbled because we have been lying about God to the world. I remember that those lies about God. God is love, 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 God is love. I heard that all through the sixties and seventies and into the eighties. God is love, God is love, and it grained itself into our mentality that God is love. And now when I engage people about his holiness and his judgment, they say, How can a loving God And it doesn't matter what comes after it. Because we have lied about God and said he is only love, therefore now they have concluded that love is defined not by God's word, but rather by us, what we think love is. Now we call him into account and we say he is an unjust God because we have called good evil and evil good, and therefore when he does good for us, judging us, for our own benefit, we call him evil and say, how can a loving God do this? And we lay an accusation before him based upon the premise of what preachers said 30 years ago. Yes, our platform is dissolved because we've lied about the Lord. And we've not called him holy, holy, holy. 
And it comes back on us now. That the people won't receive that. And their statement is, no, no evil's going to come us, no sword. And, and now a true prophet comes, and someone that willing to say the truth, and no one wants to hear it. He has spoken down, and the prophets all just are so much wind, it says in verse 13. Whether you're speaking the truth or not speaking the truth, the prophets have become wind. They're just, they mean nothing. And the frightening conclusion is that the disaster that's going to hit them is going to hit right here. The church, because the word of God isn't in the church anymore. Because we've been lying about the Lord for so long that we have done injury to his testimony and his work in this world because we have devastated the authority by which we should be calling out society to reform and to repentance, to a right relationship with God, God says, you're due for judgment too. Oh, you may say, as the Lord lives, you may make claim, but the fact is, is that when we have lied so long, And the word has not been in us for so long. Our judgment can't be any different than that which is going to come to the world. If anything, it'll be worse. And this Jeremiah is going to keep on pressing to his family members, the other priests, prophets, the great men, to say, you're not absolved of guilt in this matter. In fact, you may be carrying more of it than any of us. And so we stand on a shaky platform that has been abused and, and we wonder why people aren't coming and asking um, because, frankly, more preachers are lying than are telling the truth. And when I see stuff, videos coming forward and I see a group of preachers, quote-unquote, gathered around a guy like Donald Trump and laying hands on him and preaching both in are not preaching, praying over him in various weird tongues and things and declaring things and making these statements. And I look at that and I go, oh, Lord, help us. We are lying about the Lord. If we think that we can put God's blessing on such a man because he's of our party affiliation, we're lying. There is no candidate available, period, that we can pray God's blessing upon this hour. None. Zero. For the great men have broken the yoke. They have burst the bonds. They deny the truth. They don't know the God that you would bless them with. We have lied, and the word isn't in us. And so what is going to be done to them will be done here. And truly, we have come to that point where Christ has 
prophetically described, will there be faith on the earth when the Son of Man comes? Will he find us of faith? And our only hope, our only, our only ray of sunshine in this whole passage is that there's a little remnant. There's this few, there's this little sliver of Judah that God says, don't destroy her completely. There's a little sliver. Verses 10 and 11 there. There's that little remnant. Oh, that we would seek to be that remnant in the midst of not just, you know, slightly less than majority odds. Um, we're talking about a righteousness that is, is at the level of a glimmer in the darkness of this society. Let me just share with where church has gone. In my tenure as a pastor, since I was in my mid-20s and now in my mid-50s, so in 30 years, I have watched and watched churches. And here's what churches are doing. They are holding fewer and fewer services every week. Now here's what the NFL has done they are having football games more and more days a week. They were dismayed in the paper that the viewership on New Year's Eve of the two bowl games had been 30 to 40% less than the year before because they took it off of New Year's Day, put it New Year's Eve. Why? because they're sure that we need more football days in the year. And our churches are being convinced more and more we need less and fewer worship days in the year. So we have no platform to solidly stand on and call people to reformation, to change, to repentance, um, when this is our spirit and attitude, is to do the minimum for God and the maximum for entertainment. The minimum for God, the maximum for our comfort. The minimum in service, the maximum for self. We have no platform to really serve the Lord and to really call the nation or a society or even our friends to repentance. And so Jeremiah's message is very apt to our age. So as you observe the world around you and you start to make determinations of what you will be willing to be involved in of the world in the coming year, I want to challenge you to consider Jeremiah chapters 4 and 5. What does the God think of the world? And how much are you willing to participate in it that you might be counted and included in its judgment? Because you had no platform to say differently because you weren't different. So my challenge to you is how are you going to be different this year? Problems already were so much like the world 
in our worship, in our priorities, in our choices, in our lifestyles, that we have no platform to speak of reform. And so the challenge that we must resolve ourselves to, as we sang earlier, no longer to linger in this world's. I am resolved that we might rebuild first our platform that we might then be able to call men to repentance. Is it likely to happen? Well, no. (laughs) God's pretty much clear that he's going to have to do some destructive measures. Um, But for the benefit of that remnant, that little sliver of, of humanity that needs to know and wants to know the truth and wants to execute judgment that will be delivered. It is imperative that we rebuild the platform of our preaching. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your love for us. Thank you again for your word. And Lord, we see our world. And we, like you, Jeremiah are dismayed. We are shocked. We can go to the great men of society and think they can aid us, but they cannot. They will not. They do not know you nor your word. They lie. They do not walk in your ways. So, Lord, we know that your judgment is sure and coming. And we want to be counted as ones like unto Jeremiah and others, Daniel and his friends and all those that were carried away and sustained the remnant who loved you. Lord, we pray that we might be open to correction, seeking out your truth and executing it in every venue where we have the capacity to do so. My call, sin, sin. Lord, our prayer is also for our children. You might guard their hearts from the poison of this world's foolishness knows how to do evil, but has no knowledge of how to do good. Lord, help us to lead them into your truth by example as well as by our instruction. Lord, our prayers that you might find us faithful to these commitments, not just throughout this year, but however long it is necessary to your coming. Praise in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.